0: The first reading is from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 7 to 14, and it's on page 750 of the Church Bibles. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the greatest of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labour. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water. On a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who shed Israel will gather them, and will watch over his flock like a shepherd." For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. Then maidens will dance and be glad young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. And the next reading is from John chapter one, verses 10 to 18. On page 1004. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but only the begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And thanks be to God.
1: So let's pray. Father God, may Fiona's words be your words to us this morning. Open our hearts to you. And may we go away changed in our thoughts, words and actions. Yes, we're continuing this morning. Um, with our theme about Jesus' messiahship and mission, and this is the word that was sent. When I first began to prepare this morning, I read the passage, and then, as is my wont, I looked online to see what other theologians, etc., had said about it, and I was going to share with you, oh, yeah, there we are, thank you. Yes, <laughs> I'll share with you then what, uh, the first thing that I read God bless the preacher who tries to say something sensible about this text in 20 minutes or less.
0: <laughs> Hallelujah.
1: <laughs> so, he then goes on to say, perhaps the best approach is to read it, prop the Bible open in a visible sp- place, lie down in silent, abject humility before the text, and then after 20 minutes or 20 years, stand up and say, Amen. Now, I have to agree with the Reverend George um, Hermanson that these writings of John do deserve us thinking about them for the next 20 years. I'm not going to take 20 years to talk about it, though. Um, So, given given that this is a a strange passage, um, I've divided it into two halves. So, we're going to have the first half and then sing a a hymn, and then we're going to continue on to the second half. John's gospel, just a little bit of background, John's gospel is a bit different from the others and by all accounts was written about 100 AD and unlike the other gospels, it was written um, not with the traditions of Judaism in mind but for the Greeks. John was writing in Ephesus and so it was written for Greeks rather than Jews. John's gospel was written um, with a clear purpose in mind Which is stated towards the end of John. I've always found these words fascinating. So, next slide, please. If possible. Sorry? Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, Right. Um, Jesus performed many other signs which John doesn't write about, um, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by your believing you may have life in his name. So it's after many years, if you think about it, if this is 100 AD, it's many years of contemplation, prayer, meditation, debate, discussion with many others I'm sure that this gospel is written. John's not writing about the events of Jesus' life as some of the other commentators are but more about the meaning of them is more interested in the meaning and interpretation of what Jesus said than about what he said. So he's writing about the signs that show who Jesus really was, the Messiah, the Son of God. So turning to our passage this morning, in verses 10 to 13, John, remember looking back, records what happened when Jesus came and dwelt among us. Now in our Old Testament reading, Jeremiah had envisioned accompanying the coming of God's salvation and all God's people being brought back together. There'd be feasting and dancing and singing and shouts of joy as all God's people were brought from all corners of the earth back as one. But with hindsight, John's telling us a different story in that although Jesus was in the world and although it was through him the world came into being, The world failed to recognize him and even his own people for whom he came refused to receive him. So it was very different from what Jeremiah had thought would happen in the future. But John had also seen that there were those who accepted Jesus as son of God and that their lives were changed. So he says, to to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power or the right or the privilege or whatever it is to become children of God. I think it's quite important to notice that that's a change that's not done to us. We're not made children of God. We have a right to become children of God. It's something that we do by believing and choosing to accept who Jesus is. So becoming children of God means becoming members of a new family, God's family. For some people, you know, that must be a great relief. If if you've not got a great family, to be able to move into a different family and really belong with God as your father must be a really important shift for you. And we're seen no longer as children born of natural descent. It's got nothing to do really with our parenthood. Not of human decision, but born of God. Perhaps born of the Spirit might be a different way of looking at it. It's a profound change and a new beginning, just as it is today as we're starting this new year. Becoming children of God, of course, also means having an entirely new way of being in the world. Having life in Jesus' name. And just a couple of chapters later, I'm sure many, all of you here are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, we're seeing to John it's the believing that matters. It's the believing that changes lives. Moving on to verse 14, John links again the word the Son, and Jesus. And John's referring back here to what he said in, in verse one of this chapter. So, if we could have the next slide, please, Ross. Yes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. He was with God in the beginning, through the word all things were made, without the word nothing was made that has been made. These are very strange words, aren't they? We'll come back to these a little bit later. John put forward the idea of Jesus as the word. The Greek word used in the text would have been logos, which has two meanings. Logos means word and logos means thought. A word is the expression of a thought. Jesus is the expression of the thought of God. In Jesus, we see the mind of God. John says, "If you want to see what God is thinking, look at Jesus." I checked up Willie Barclay. Um, sorry, William Barclay, Professor William Barclay. <laughs> um, I always get a row from Colin, for calling him Willie Barclay. From me, <clears throat> he says, "In Jesus, the mind of God." Became a person. Again, quite difficult to understand. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As we've just seen at Christ uh, by celebrating Christmas, the coming of, of Jesus' flesh. But John's not just recording the fact that Jesus came to dwell among us, he's also personally testifying here, if you notice. He's saying, we, he and all his compatriots, I suppose, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Two very important words. To support that, he's quoting the testimony of John the Baptist as well as one who points to Jesus explicitly stating that Jesus was of higher status than John the Baptist. John is recognizing Jesus as the long awaited Messiah, talked about way back in, in Jeremiah. Verse 16 is quite beautiful, isn't it? Because of all that the Son is, and because he came to dwell among us, we have been given one blessing after another. Some versions say we have received grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. Uh, and, another, um, and, and, and another version says, undeserved kindness and truth. The blessing of the law had come through Moses, but the blessing of grace and truth comes through Jesus. In Genesis, and I, I understand Linda talked about that at the midnight service, um, in Genesis the word was revealed as creator of all, as God spoke the world into being. In the Gospel of John, the word is created as the Son, who is the revelation of God's love for us all, that whoever believes in him will be enabled to create a life of grace upon grace. Now, what I've been saying so far is probably pretty traditional and you're fairly familiar with it, But I think there are some things in in John, the words he's using here, that require a little bit more examination. So we're going to stop for the moment and we're going to sing a very appropriate song, You're the Word of God the Father. And we'll come back to the interesting bit after the break. At least I hope it's interesting. So if you'd like to stand to sing You're the Word of God the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I read uh, this in John, these words in John, I've always been a bit concerned about what on earth does that mean? Why is he saying the word? Why, Why the word became flesh? Why word with a capital W? And I couldn't find any other preachers or theologians on the net at all who even mentioned it. And so, this is my stuff, really, that you're getting now, and you can see what you think about it. It's just something to think about. First of all, remember that that um, John's being written in Ephesus, and uh, at university um, I studied the work of Plato, who was in Athens, and just a couple of hundred years before this gospel was written. In Plato, words like beauty or goodness or justice were spelt with a capital letter. The idea being that that would draw attention to their exalted status. Beauty with a capital B is a kind of eternal changeless form of beauty that couldn't be seen in the real world. Nothing could be that beautiful. It's the ultimate in what beauty was. When I was preparing for this morning, um, I suddenly thought, love divine, all loves excelling must be spelt with a capital L, mustn't it? Because the love of God is the most beautiful love. There is nothing um, that can surpass that. Therefore, the word with a capital W is the ultimate, unsurpassable word of God. God's divine word is Jesus, who was God. But even that's peculiar, isn't it? What on earth does that mean? The writers of Genesis and and John's gospel point to the creative power of the word. Now, they didn't have the advantages of modern science, but seemed to understand it is the word that does the creating. (coughs) In Genesis, God said, let there be light or water or living creatures or whatever, and there were. John says the Word was God, and everything came into being through the Word. So John seems to be saying that the Word is, it's the Word that's creating the outcome, and I just wanted to explore that a little bit. So enlightened modern scientists are able to demonstrate scientifically the Word is the creator. There's no separation between mind, thought, word, and the manifestation of that mind or thought or word. So, oh, there we are, we've got it. <laughs> uh, Bruce Lipton um, is a biologist who wrote a book called, strangely enough, The Biology of Belief. Quite an odd title. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, this is Proverbs, as a man thinketh, thinketh, so he is. Bruce Lipton, biologist, says, all cell behaviour is the result of perception, saying exactly the same thing. And um, Bruce Lipton can demonstrate that um, <coughs> scientifically. And of course, <coughs> excuse me. as a psychotherapist and clinical hypnotist, I'm very well aware that if you change the word, you change the thought, belief, you change the person physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, chemically, any other way you can think of, one of my clients came in recently and, and she said, "She it's really odd, but this seems to change your brain. And I smiled and said, yeah, that's exactly what's happening to you. Your brain is actually changing. This is a girl who was determined when she first came to me. She said, um, I'm going to commit suicide in February, she said. I'm going to kill myself in February. I've given myself a year. She said she'd had several other attempts at suicide over the years, she said I've given myself since last February and by the time she came to me it was about October or something and she said I'm going to kill myself in February and I said well that's very interesting. Um, The change in her in just a few weeks has been incredible and she's uh, stopped smoking marijuana I'm glad to say uh, without any help at all just suddenly I don't want it anymore. She is no longer going to kill herself she tells me which is very good news and she's almost off all her antidepressants, which is astonishing. Change the thought, change the outcome. Now, if that th- new thought is the truth, then the outcome is freedom. <clears throat> John says the word was God. Candy pert who is, um, or was, a neuroscientist and and pharmacologist, very well-known scientist who discovered how to block the AIDS virus from attaching itself to the body. She's very, very well-known. She says, your body is your unconscious mind. So, again, the two things are saying exactly the same thing. And, of course, again, she could demonstrate that. That's back in the 1970s, so this isn't new. And, of course, the words can be many different things. Next slide, please. Yeah, uh, as I was um, writing this, I thought I'll, I'll just write down what, th- what words could be. So there you are. There's a whole list, that, just the ones that I came up with. I'm sure there are very many more. Um, and these words are what create you. And, yeah, I've put it up there physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, chemically, any other way you can think of. One example that you'll all be familiar with is the placebo effect. If you give one person a painkiller and another a sugar pill, a placebo, and do an MRI scan, you'll see exactly the same effect in both brains. The brain is producing opiates to produce the pain relieving effect. In Parkinson's, give a patient a placebo and they'll produce dopamine. Give the same sugar pill to someone with depression and they'll produce serotonin. The brain produces specifically what each person thinks is going to happen. Now that's astonishing. And of course it's not a figment of their imagination because the brain actually is producing dopamine or um, serotonin. The brain will also produce... Specific effects in specific area of the bodies. So they injected some poor souls who had obviously volunteered for, um, k- for research um, with, uh, s- s- with something that would induce pain in both their hands. Um, it comes from chili peppers, so you can imagine it's pretty painful stuff. And they told subjects that they were going to try out this new anaesthetic cream, which was a wonder cream and going to change the world really. And so they rubbed the cream into the left hand, gave them the injections and then asked them to rate the pain. In the right hand, the pain was rated as off the scale, which I can imagine it would be, uh, 12 out of 10 kind of thing. In the left hand, it was reported as negligible, but the anaesthetic was actually just moisturising cream. So this is the subject again, the brain has produced the effect in the left hand because that's what the thought was creating. That's how specific the word can be. (coughs) Belief sways chemistry one way or another, depending on what you believe. There's the opposite effect of the placebo. Placebo is again Greek, um, meaning to heal or to help. Um, There's the nocebo effect, which means to harm or to hurt. Uh, You know voodoo? Um, and the idea of giving somebody, putting a hex on somebody and they die, that's the nocebo effect. If the patient expects a negative outcome, they'll get it. So there was a funny moment when I was um, being uh, about to go for an operation, this is years ago, um, and the surgeon decided that he was going to tell me, as they do, all the negative things that could happen in this operation. And he, he you no know, sooner started than I put my hand up and shouted, stop! And he looked at me like, she didn't mean stop, you know, <laughs> I think he was quite offended and I said, look, I have spent a year preparing my body for this operation to go perfectly. I don't want you putting a negative suggestion in there because I knew that could have a negative effect on the outcome of the operation. So the word really does affect the outcome. The Bible has a great deal to say about the significance of word in prayer as perceptions or attitudes or faith or belief or whatever. So I'll just very quickly give you a number of examples. In Matthew, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. Asking, the word, creates the outcome, receiving. Receiving. In Mark, ask whatever, um, whatever, and it will be yours. Again, in Matthew, you will receive if you have faith. So the thinking, the belief really matters. James is really interesting. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. But he is double-minded. So if your mind isn't on the word, the outcome, the expectation, then you don't get what you're asking for. Because James says later on, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. So there's obviously a right way of asking. And he goes on to say the prayer of faith will save the, the one who is sick. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working, prayer of course being words. So there's no point in praying for world peace and fear. The stronger word will always overcome the weaker one. So Jesus' advice was love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. My sister and I were very concerned about my brother who's in quite a difficult situation really at the moment. And so I phoned him up and I said, do you realize how worried we are about you? And I got quite a sharp response and he said, well don't because that's praying for what I don't want. It drew me up short, I have to say, but it made me think. He understood that my words were affecting him and that my negative thoughts would affect him. Worrying works against you so in Philippians we read do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God you're already thanking God before you re- receive the outcome again it's the believing that matters that's faith so the biblical advice next slide please Sorry, I learned this in the authorised version. I'm terrible for just doing things from memory. Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever is good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. It matters what we think with our minds. And there's a whole lot more in the Bible that I haven't mentioned this morning that, that supports that. I want to leave you this morning though with a little story about faith and belief and being persistent in prayer as Paul suggests to the Colossians. uh, Yeah, this is Isla Grace. Isla Grace is my um, niece's child and there's quite a story about Isla Grace and her coming here. Uh, My niece got married um, 11 years ago uh, last August Um, Isla Grace was born in August. She's 25 weeks old today. 24 was last Sunday's picture. Um, She's 25 weeks old today. So 11 years ago they got married and my niece had always wanted, since she was about this height, to have children of her own. She got cards printed when she was 14 to say I will babysit for all the neighbors. Um, She loves children so much. She wanted a big family. And uh, so um, they decided to have a family right away and they, so she got pregnant and she lost the baby. And she got pregnant and she lost the baby. And she got pregnant and she lost the baby. I don't know how many times that happened but I wouldn't be surprised if 18 to 20 miscarriages because she just couldn't hold on to the baby so on to the next stage this girl with faith God wants me to be a mummy she always (laughs) said I've got to be I'm here to be a mummy that that was her one and only aim in life really so on to the next stage and they um, went for IVF and she became probably an expert in (laughs) in IVF they eventually had eight rounds of IVF. I've never heard of anybody having eight rounds of IVF, but nothing was going to stop my niece. She took every pill, every injection, every hormone. She did everything she was supposed to do. She went for acupuncture. She did it all. She put her, whole, her everything into it. Didn't work. So we're on to the next stage. What we're going to do now. So Moving forward, Julie says, going to go down the surrogacy route because she wanted her own child. She was going to be a mummy and she wanted her own baby. Her and her husband's child. So they went off to Kiev. And they were there quite a long time. And disaster struck because um, her husband, who hasn't ever had any problems at all, suddenly went through in Kiev two operations which meant that he would no longer be producing sperm and so what they collected during these operations was all they had. This bit will get to me. God's hand's been in this all the way through, we've seen it. The embryologist locked himself away for a day, this guy in Kiev. God bless the embryologist, locked himself away for a day, turned off his phone, refused to be disturbed in any way with the egg and the sperm and produced wonderful embryos. And so we are so grateful and um, so we get a surrogate and she becomes pregnant and she loses the baby. And my niece picks herself up, dusts herself off and says on we go. God wants me to be a mummy. So then we get a second surrogate, Karina was her name. And the wonderful, beautiful Karina, again, God bless Karina. My sister and I say that all the time, God bless Karina, wherever she is, whatever she's doing now. She gave birth to Isla Grace uh, last year in August. The most wonderful thing that could have happened. Is this beautiful child, the word of God, made flesh? Is it the faith and the absolute belief that brought about the creation of Isla Grace? For me, she will always now, after this passage this morning, be Isla Grace upon Grace upon Grace upon Grace. Because this, for us, is the grace of God. And as everything is created through the word, does that mean we too are the word of God made flesh? And is that a capital W or a small w? Is that the same as Jesus or different from Jesus? I don't know, but I'll leave you to ponder it on this new year.